This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 210. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today joined on this episode by Mr. Jacob Paulson. Hello, everyone. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> howdy, Riley. <laughs> How you doing? You know, doing great. It's a beautiful day in Colorado, and this is going to be a great episode today. Indeed. I think the uh, highs today are going to get into the 70s. It's sunny. It's beautiful. Can't complain about that. No, indeed. Hopefully, it's nice for all of the rest of you, wherever you are listening to or viewing this episode of the podcast, uh, although I understand some uh, more up in the northeast part of the country are probably not having as nice a weather. But we wish you all well, nonetheless. And uh, we thank all those of you joining us, uh, listening to the podcast or viewing live on Facebook. Got a bunch of you here today, so it's awesome. Today's episode, we are going to, uh, first of all, I was going to tease that we are going to answer some questions that have come in to the uh, podcast mailbox. Uh, You can always submit questions or comments or ideas or complaints or whatever via our email address for podcast listeners, podcast at concealedcarry.com, which many of you have done. And we've not really had a chance to do some Q&A on the podcast in a while. So we're, we're going to be doing some of that today. Uh, some questions we're going to be answering have to do with background checks. We had a really interesting uh, uh, point of clarification that came in from one listener. How to deal with uh, concealed carry with kids. A really, really insightful question from uh, one of our listeners uh, about that. And and Jacob and I are both very passionate about that. And then also a question that came in about pepper spray and concealed carry from a loyal listener. He says, he describes himself as a really interesting question too, especially for civilian, you know, concealed carriers, which most of you probably are. Um, And so we're going to actually get to those questions after we play back the interview that we did with Chad Enos and Devin at the Excess uh, Sites booth at SHOT Show 2018. And so with that in mind, uh, our honorary sponsors of today's episode are, in fact, Excess Sites and Keltech for making Chad available for a brief time to sit down with us and, and do this interview. Uh, official sponsor of today's episode is actually Citizen Armor and one, wanted to make you aware that we recently interviewed them uh, on the podcast and uh, we now officially have in the store at concealedcarry.com uh, several products from Citizen Armor listed. Their uh, insert that you can use like in backpacks and also their uh, uh, w- w- the, the T-Shield, which is a very lightweight, very thin, very concealable form of, of body armor that Jacob has. He's worn. He's He could be wearing it right now for all we know and we wouldn't know because it's very lightweight and thin. Really cool body armor. And then also their Civi vest, which is more of a full-fledged body armor uh, vest. Uh, and so now uh, Citizen Armor makes great stuff. Their, their carbon nanofiber tube material that they incorporate into their ballistic material uh, basically means they can make it stronger, lighter, thinner, uh, and have less back face deformation. That means less trauma on you if you ever have to rely on it to save your life. So... Great stuff. Go check it out. Citizen Armor in the Concealed Carry store at concealedcarry.com. So, Jacob, why don't we preview a little bit this uh, interview we did with Chad and Devin at uh, SHOT Show. Yeah, so we originally meant to record a podcast episode with Chad when we were 
in Orlando back in September. We had the opportunity to visit the Caltech uh, facility, I suppose, the campus, and tour kind of all of their operation and kind of hang out there for a day. It was really cool. And uh, you know, Chad just kind of went downhill in terms of uh, his, his health that day. It's like in the morning he was great, and by afternoon he's like, guys, I got to go home. I don't feel good. So we were unable to record the episode then. And so we've kind of been holding on to some of the coolest things that we saw at Caltech and what we learned about that company uh, until now when we were finally able to get back with Chad and, and interview him for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was quite a day. You know, I mean, we, we were able to piggyback on another trip to Florida. We went down there. We saw Urban Carry. Uh, they invited us down to preview their new, uh, crap, what's it called? The Revo system, their holsters. And uh, you can check out the review we did on, on the Revo holster system on our website. Uh, maybe Jacob will pull up a link. I don't know. But uh, so we went down there to see Urban Carry. That was an interesting trip. A good trip. Good people, by the way, at Urban Carry. Regardless of what you think about their products, they're good people. And uh, we really enjoyed our time spent with them. And then we hopped on over to uh, Cocoa, Florida, where uh, Caltech is based and uh, spent a day there getting a tour of the Caltech facilities, getting to meet some of their people there. And uh, Jacob is absolutely correct that uh, Chad just, you know, he just came down sick. And as the day w- wore on, uh, he just was feeling worse and worse. So uh, we had to reschedule a podcast and it, it just so happened to work out. Oh, and then we we, we had the podcast uh, set up for another day and he got in, a, in an accident, uh, got rear-ended or something in his truck. So... Yeah, we were a little cursed there for a while, but yeah. finally, finally come around here. Poor, poor guy, you know. So when we finally were able to c- connect with him at the Shot Show, uh, that's just the way it was meant to be. And then he brought along his friend Devin uh, for for the ride, and and Devin is a great dude, and and uh, he's from Canada, so we won't hold that against him too too much, I, I don't think. But uh, he had a lot of good things to add as well. So anyway, uh, it was really fun sitting down with Chad. We we spent quite a bit of time talking about Caltech, the company itself. Uh, kind of what their core principles are. Innovation in the in the firearm industry, they definitely are very innovative. They've always sort of marched to their own beat, to their own tune. Uh, don't really care so much about what others are doing. They just sort of do their thing. But what's cool about that is it, it really brings out a lot of innov- in- innovation and a lot of innovative products uh, from them. And the other thing that's really cool that I think you'll you'll find this from listening to this interview is that they really care about their employees and they really care about being a proud American business. And that's really important in this day and age. So we were honored to be able to join with, with them and, and uh, they were wonderful hosts to us when we toured their facility and wonderful hosts again, having Chad on the podcast. So there you have it. I, I say, I see a ton of comments by the way, Jacob coming in on Facebook about YouTube's change in policy relating to firearm uh, content on, on YouTube. And maybe, maybe, maybe we just touch on that just a little bit at the end of the episode as well when we're doing this other Q&A. What do you think? Sure. I, I do think that's relevant considering, you know, talking with Chad, talking about Caltech today. Uh, I mean, there, there are some things that maybe YouTube is doing that could potentially affect uh, content that's available online from companies such as Caltech. So... Anyway, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and play back now the interview with Chad and Devin. And so let me get this rolling. Here we go. Hey, hey folks. Uh, it's uh, Riley and Jacob with the Concealed Carry Podcast. We're sitting down with Chad Enos and Devin Fraser. Uh, we are so 
we're just thrilled to have you guys here. We're in the Excess Sites booth at mm-hmm. SHOT Show 2018. They've been such wonderful hosts to have us come in, do the podcast right on site here at the show. Chad, Devin, thank you so much. Welcome. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Super stoked to be here. <laughs> now, Fantastic. Chad, how many SHOT Shows is this for you? To be number eight, I think. Hey, that's quite a few. Eight yeah. years to become like practically one of the most popular dudes of the show. <laughs> yeah no i'm not i'm not popular what's the secret at all. Is, yeah. is, is, is it has changed over time i don't know you know year to year we, we try and go somewhere on the on the floor and what used to take us two minutes to get to now takes us 20 minutes yeah that's yeah, not because so he needs to relieve himself because of his you know his age it's because of all the <laughs> selfie requests shots fired <laughs> yeah. no and that's the truth of why we uh, were so late no i'm kidding <laughs> we, yeah that has to do with age as well um, I couldn't see the, I didn't see the booth, walked right past it twice, <laughs> but we're here and we're happy to be here. And I, I brought my, uh, my buddy Devin here. He's from Canada. <clears throat> Don't hold that against him. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, solid, solid dude. He's always a uh, value added to any interview. We just, we love hanging out. It's the only time we really get to see each other throughout the year. So we, uh, George has like, got him locked up in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, shot show comes around, we pile around, you know, yeah, so. awesome. Good. Good. You guys have been uh, really rocking it over there in the Caltech booth. You've had the Talking Lead podcast there all week. Yes. Yeah, we got them all yeah. week. Uh, super exciting because cool thing about that is I don't have to venture out to find you guys. Like you guys, all my friends, they come to me to come, <laughs> yeah, to come uh, get on the show. So I don't have to leave, leave the booth very often, uh, which is kind of good and bad because you know I don't get to see like the new stuff going on out here. Um, so I'll take a two-hour lunch tomorrow. But it's been really fun because all of, uh, you know, as you guys know, we don't really have a whole lot of competition uh, per se in the in the industry because we make such unique stuff. True. So like we can have our friends from Six Hour come over, our friends from Smith and Wesson come over and hang out in our booth, and we can promote their products and stuff on the podcast uh, because they're not really in any real way a direct competition to us. And probably even if they were, we wouldn't care. We'd yeah. still do it anyway. We, you know, it's friends before business is really kind of how. You know, we look at things uh, at Caltech, so it it's just been super cool having all these manufacturers come over, and and in that way, I do get to see a lot of cool new products. You know, because they they'll bring they bring samples, stuff. yeah, sure. they bring stuff over, and, and either that or just like you know ex- explain it verbally, and I just close my eyes and get the uh-huh. picture. <laughs> so, so let me ask real quick. Uh, I know you had a limited chance to see a lot of things here at the show this year, but uh, anything that's jumped out at you, anything that's got you excited? Yeah, the RDBS. Yeah. <laughs> Correct Bravo. answer. Bravo. <laughs> Correct answer. Yeah. yeah, and to be honest with you, that really is uh, yep. uh, the coolest thing I've I've seen. I mean, I've been playing around with that gun now for almost a year and a half, but it's just it's so cool, man. It, it's a two foot gun, just over two feet long. It weighs five pounds, and we were smashing steel with it with iron sights at two hundred yards yesterday. I mean, that's just super cool. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Um, I'd have to say that first. Um, oh, uh, yeah. now, just just so for folks listening, uh, this is the the RDB essentially, right? Yep. No pistol grip, right? Right. Still bullpup design, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of like the survival rifle configuration, right? It is sights, iron sights. Yep, sights come on it. Uh, they're pretty intuitive, uh, pretty cool. It is a short sight radius, but like I said, I mean, I already need to run a you know two foot gun, so we're shooting at two hundred yards. Yeah. Uh, cool thing about it, like. For guys like Devin, I don't know if you can have him in Canada, but uh, it's uh, it's an awesome pack gun. Like he's a super outdoorsman kind of guy, and that's really what the gun was designed for, you know. So, give your thoughts on what do you think of that thing? 
It's pretty cool, right? It's fantastic. I mean, when you look at every, there's a reason why you have the demands that you have, right? Yeah. yeah. Because everything has been a home run, you know, from that's from yeah, shotguns to handguns to, you know, even sleeker styled rifle carryings and what have you. So I don't know. It's on, it's on the want list. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that, you know, is designed for guys like Devin, uh, guys that just like to be outdoors without adding all that extra weight, you know, and it's, it's pretty much a gun that you don't necessarily take it out to go shoot guns. You take it out in, in case you need to shoot a gun. So yeah, you know, like, uh, get into a bad situation with some wolves or, you know, coyotes, or you just, you know, see something you actually just want to kill. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know, you got it. It's, it's there for you. And, and you, you don't know it's there really till you need it. You what's know? the, what's the retail on that Chad? Well, twelve seventy five is a retail on the standard RDB, uh, the RDBC, which we can talk about that as well. Um, and, uh, th those are the same MSRP. I don't know what the MSRP is on the S model yet. I should know this because we started shipping them already. You're fired. But, I'm but I imagine it's, right it's right in that same, same area. It may be slightly less. Sure. So, sure. um, uh, but, uh, yeah. And, and so those guns, the RDB standard RDB and gun shops, uh, you're seeing them between like I've seen them as low as 700, 750, and then they, you know, I've seen them go up to 900. So still pretty good, pretty good price on the street for that gun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So by the way, uh, this has been a long time coming to get you finally connected with us for the podcast. How long has it been? <laughs> it was like August. We months. were at your headquarters. Yes. We stopped yeah, by yeah. your office. We said hello. We got the whole tour, the whole shebang. And we're like, yeah, we're going to do a podcast with you too. <laughs> and you were not feeling that, that great that I was that super, day. yeah, I was really sick. You I were, apologize. You were amazing for still accommodating us for, for even a quick, brief tour. And then I think we set up it like took, a week or two. It took my mind off feeling bad, though, when we were cruising around. So, yeah, yeah it was nice. kind of nice having you nice. guys there. Well, it was really amazing to see, you know, not, not just the innovation. I think people are familiar with the innovation of Caltech. What they don't see is the family of Caltech. Absolutely. Right? And, and how, how for, for one, how hardworking these people are, just constant cranking out of these of these parts and of these guns and but secondly like just kind of that, that, that yeah well <laughs> but but there's also that culture aspect where yeah. i mean it's really a family it's an expanding growing company you guys are at capacity you're doing everything you can and and people have been there a long time it was amazing to walk through and and chat for you to say oh this is so-and-so they've been here 15 years this is so-and-so they've mm -hmm. been here for 12 years you know these people just they're they're part of the family now yeah it is a there is a caltech culture and I'm always reminded of it when someone comes in, like like when you guys came in, you know, and, and started. It's it always uh, kind of kicks kicks me in the face again. I'm like, yeah, we you know we have a really cool family here, as dysfunctional as we can be at times, but it's what makes it work. That's it's yeah. you know, it's uh, yep. it's a cool thing to have every day. I pinch myself when I go to work. We just <laughs> we just saw George, the president of the company, owner of the company, just walking down the hall by himself here, you know, cruising around checking stuff out. I mean, and what did you say? Devin. There's no other CEO or person in his station in life, I think, that would just be by himself wandering the floors. Yeah. I was there earlier waiting for Chad, and he was just answering questions as though, you know, he's just another one of his employees. And that's exactly how I think he sees himself. He's he just does. another cog in the wheel. Yep. He doesn't set himself apart or put him on, on, on a higher standard. So, yeah, yeah. And when asked, uh, Jansen Jones from Free Munitions came over, did an interview with George. And uh, one of the questions asked was if, Money's no object. Laws are no object. It was basically just anything in the world that you would want to buy. One thing you could buy, what would it be? And George's answer was a yacht. <laughs> like he wants to buy a yacht. <laughs> and I thought that was just such a, a, a cool answer. I mean, he could buy anything he wants, but he just wants to get a boat. 
basically. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. A nice boat, water. but a boat. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, he's just a super simple dude. You know, I mean, he could afford to buy a yacht, he could buy sure. probably four yachts if he wanted to, but <laughs> you know, he yeah. just doesn't look at himself that way, you know? And a uh, huge example of that is, uh, um, we just got these corporate tax uh, rate changes, yes. you know, and so it went from 35 to 21%. He took every freaking dime of that money and gave it back to the employees. So we all got a raise. But that was outside of our um, our yearly raise that, you know, because we, we go in and we get evaluated each year on our job performance and all that stuff. And we get a raise, a uh, percentage of our paycheck based on our performance. Well, that's added. So we actually get two raises uh, this year. And awesome. that's that's just George and George, you know, yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. amazing. The Caltech yeah. story is a story of, of, of innovation, of culture, and also of like that, that core, like American spirit. Yes. Right. That like we, he, we he, are here doing it. That's right. And George is literally the American dream. He's an immigrant. He came over here the right way and, and started a company and look at him now. Yeah. Know? So yeah. Now he's helping other people live their dreams too. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 In fact, we've had, uh, there's a company called Twisted Industries that makes, um, uh, they make accessories and like aftermarket parts for our guns. That's an offshoot of Keltec. Those those were two Keltec employees at one time, and they started their own business. And George supported them 100, percent you know. And so now they've got their own business. They've got a booth here at Shaw Show. It's it's awesome, you know. And he he encourages that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it's good, dude. He loves innovation, yeah. no matter yeah. who it's coming from. It was fun too, as we toured your your uh, headquarters there. Uh, meeting a lot of the people and some a few people have been there a long time you know way longer than you oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and, and who's the guy in the was it in shipping and yes yeah robert 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 Tran. yeah yeah he's been there like 25 yeah years, i always like joke that. around and i say that uh, robert's been standing in that field you know when it was an empty field he was just standing there looking around they built the company around him <laughs> <laughs> and he just started using his hands and folding up boxes and <laughs> putting guns away yeah he's, he's been with george from the beginning <laughs> he's been there so long he remembers the days when george would come in on fridays and bring pizza and beer for the employees <laughs> that were building guns like they would just like and george is a beer connoisseur he loves beer wine uh that's one of his things so he would bring like just high-end beer and coolers literally and they yeah. would just pop beers and and uh, eat, eat pizza. pizza on fridays yeah i love it I love yeah it. when it was there was a you know, handful like five to ten employees or whatever yeah, yeah. now this this is the concealed carry podcast so i would love to hear Chad, real quickly, like what what do you think? Like what are the the top Keltec handguns concealed carry? Like what are the models that seem to consistently fly off the shelf for concealed carry? PF nine, hands down. Uh lots of law enforcement support behind the PF nine as well. It's they love that as a backup gun. Got a million stories about law enforcement guys uh loving that thing. The P three AT uh is also right. a really big one. Um well keep in mind that the PF nine, it's cute. All these companies have come out with these subcompact pistols and they still haven't gotten down to the size of the, in the weight of the PF nine. It's 13 ounces and it's still the, the flattest it's amazing. concealed ounces. carry. And that gun's been out for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, P3AT awesome pocket gun. Uh, P32 is another great pocket gun. Very popular. Um, because it's got a lot less recoil than the other two. Yep. Um, and you can get actually one or two more rounds in it, depending on the mag. It actually we make 10 round mags for it too, but, uh, uh, great, you know, great firepower for such a tiny little gun, mouse gun, whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Here's something super funny. So everybody's, uh, everybody's all up and, you know, freaking out. The SIG booth is packed right now and they got yeah. the new P365. Uh, yeah. P365. What is that? It's a subcompact pistol holds 10 rounds, right? Yep. Well, we did that 15 years ago with the P11. So <laughs> it's, I just think it's so cool. That's a fair point. 
<laughs> but no, I'm not making a, it's not a slight on SIG. I love SIG products. Yeah. And I think that's awesome that they did that gun. But the cool thing is we started that. Caltech yeah. started that, you know? And so it's really neat to think of George as like the godfather of all, a lot of innovation that's gone on in the industry, you yeah. know? And, and, uh, now, which one was first? Was it the PF9 or was the, it? The P11 was the first the Caltech product. The first. P11. Oh, okay. And I have a P11, bought it this last year. But since nice. last time I saw you, I've bought two Keltec guns, the <laughs> nice. P11 and the uh, Sub 2000. Yeah, he, awesome. he bought a Sub 2000 off of me, in fact. I, I had two oh, that's of right. them. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to have kept two of them, but he kept bugging me about it, bugging me about it, and I said, okay, fine, here you go. Nice. <laughs> and that was from the, uh, that was the one that at the American Marksman competition. I did, I did. Yeah, okay. superstar yeah. over here. Yeah, Keltec yeah. was a great sponsor of the American yep. Marksman competition yep. last year. Yeah. Uh, or I guess it was two years ago now, geez. Well, it finished. It finished it early year. 2017. Yeah, just a little more than a yeah, year January ago. January 2017. Yeah. So yeah. that was fantastic. We love stuff like that too, and we we love to support. Uh, you know, you know, really cool shooting. Like Mark Passamanik's a a good friend. You know, yep. and he and he, a great shooter and an awesome shooter. And he approached me about that, and I mean, the answer was yes before I even knew what he was doing. Because everything he does is great. You know, I know it's going to be a quality product. You know, so yeah, like, yeah, heck yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. we love supporting shooting industry. You know. Um, especially when it concerns safety and kids and, you know, bringing new people in, especially with concealed carry, uh, you know, because a lot of people think, and I'm sure you guys have covered this a million times and I won't beat a dead horse, but people think you just buy a gun and you conceal it and now you're safe. Yeah. And that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth, you know? So I think for, uh, 2018, uh, and going forward, really want to kind of start a, um, sort of a campaign on concealed carry and safety. Uh, safety in the home, uh, know how to use your weapon, that kind of stuff. doesn't matter what kind of gun you carry. It can be a Caltech or anything else, but I really want to promote that um, and really uh, exp- get the get the word out that you don't just buy a pistol, put it in your holster, and then go about your day. You know, you got to learn how to use that thing and, and get some proper training with mm-hmm. it. Sounds like we should do a public service announcement in cooperation with Caltech. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we've, we've been talking about doing some PSAs, so that, that would be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Chad, talk to us a little bit uh, about you're, you're a competitive shooter. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your background as a shooter there. Well, uh, started out shooting pistol caliber carbon with the sub 2000. Like I actually got dragged to a match you know, they're <laughs> like, man, you got to come out and do this. Cause I, I was a flat range shooter a little bit before that, not too much. And just by default because of where I worked, you know, I built these guns. I wanted to shoot them, you know? So <laughs> you uh, had a great story by the way, back when you used to Test yes, yeah, I was, I was just getting to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you continue then. Yeah, so when I started at Caltech, uh, my uh, in my interview process, my my first um, supervisor there, a guy named Rick Mueller, he's still there. He's he's still the uh, the assembly department uh, manager. Uh, he's interviewing me, and Rick Mueller is a guy that's uh, about six five, six six, probably three hundred twenty pounds. He's a he's just a beast of a man, right? but a gentle giant and man of very few words. And he's kind of in his own way, sort of explaining to me how Caltech works and how to build the guns and all that stuff. And me being this, you know, former drummer LA guy coming, you know, coming back home to Florida where everything's dead. I'm like, I'm still in like LA kind of like, I need to get, get my business done, you know, and show off and kind of do my thing. You know, I used to work in the entertainment. So I had that stupid attitude. Right. <laughs> so in the interview, he's like, uh, he's telling me about the guns and how many we have to build. We have a quota or whatever. I'm like, so who's, who's built the most, you know? And he's like, or how many, no, I said, how many, what's the, what's the most, yeah, yeah, what's the record? How many, you know? And, uh, he said 160 of these, you know, one day I was like, I'll crush that. <laughs> I hadn't even seen the gun. I hadn't even seen the parts or anything yet. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I'll crush it. Who is it? And he goes, 
well, it was me. <laughs> this is my, come on, this is my interview, like my job interview, right? So anyway, he's like, I like your enthusiasm. So he sits me down, shows me how to build the guns. I build all these guns. Um, I didn't even get anywhere close to how many, you know, 160 guns. I build 80 of them. I'm like, I'm all proud. He comes over and he looks at him. He's like, oh, right. Great job. Great job. Except uh, <clears throat> you put the trigger springs in backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and these were PF9s. And if you do that, you put the spring in backwards, you literally have to get side cutters and rip the whole trigger system out of the gun and re rebuild them all. So <laughs> again, Caltech family, it's my first experience. He sat down, my supervisor who just doesn't have to do any of this stuff. He sat down with me and he helped me rebuild all my PF9s that I had built that day. So that's the wow. culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is that that is the culture there. So super cool. That anyway, I moved from that into the test fire range, got really good at shooting pistols. Uh, and then my first competition was a sub gun match. And I had a couple guys there that wanted to go down and shoot this local match. So I went down there with him, brought a sub two thousand, had a blast, got completely hooked. So that's, that's where it all started for me. And then we just moved into three gun. And, and as we uh, started to, de uh, we, we used to run the SU 16s. And then as the RDB was being developed, uh, George threw them at us to take them out and basically try to break them yep. and uh, find out what sort of quirks they might have. So that's the shooting team is actually sort of a test bed for, uh, for Celtic. You know, we bring yep. our products out there and we put them through their paces and then we report back uh, to George what, what our findings are. And then we go from there. So, yeah. 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 Well, you're, you're testing them out in challenging environments. They're getting dirty, shooting a lot of rounds. Lots of rounds. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. As you know, they get beat up, dumped in barrels, uh, occasionally <laughs> dropped. Yeah. Not, not intentionally, but. And not, yeah. and not firing when the one dropped either, right? Right. Yeah. No, we don't want any of that. Okay. We don't, <laughs> don't want any ADs. Yeah, no, that's, uh, but, uh, I, I'm kind of curious. We got Devin sitting here, Canadian. Like you said, we, we won't hold it against him. <laughs> but I think he's the first foreigner we've had on the podcast. That could be true. Gold so, star. So, <laughs> so, so I've got to ask a question. I mean, as an outsider to the U.S., uh, what's it like for you being up there looking in, you know, on the state of America? And, and, and the gun culture. Guns. Okay, well, thanks for helping whittle that question down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I like where this could go. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. good question. Yeah. I, I was going to clarify. Just sure so you, you are. Sure you are. <laughs> Yeah, I, we, we have the bird's eye view in a way, right? We're, or perhaps even better said, a fly on the wall. So we're, we're there observing. And people, I mean, very few people even know, probably even find Canada on a map. But yeah, it's the one above. Of course. <laughs> there it's America's hat. Right? That's where all the nice people are. <laughs> America's <Yeah>. hat. <laughs> yeah, so we're just sitting, we're hanging out up there. But um, I think in many ways, there's presumptions made as to what the gun culture in Canada would be right? Um, they would think that it's going to be probably mimicking something you'd see in Australia or Europe where there, there's an absence of firearms, like in the United Kingdom, essentially. Yep. It's not that way. Um, there is a prevalent, and it's led principally on the backs of hunting, would, yep. be, would be the idea, but there's a lot of sport shooting as well. Yep. Um, there's some restrictive laws, as, as you could imagine, uh, specifically with, with concealable carry firearms, pistols, what have you. But apart from that, there's a lot of things that we get to take out and, and enjoy. Um, probably more in, in keeping with what you might see in New York or California, mind you. Sure. Not in Colorado or Texas, yeah. um, Florida. But, so let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. So um, is there a law? Are there, are there things that in Canada you can enjoy uh, as 
firearms related that we have a really hard time, like, uh, and I'm getting to like SBRs, suppressors, suppressors things of that sure. nature. Is that tougher for you guys or easier for you guys than us? There are no suppressors allowed. They are prohibited in Canada, Okay, which is unfortunate in many ways because I think maybe the idea is popularized or solidified in, in policymakers' minds as to what a suppressor does. Mm-hmm. It's not a silencer. It's a suppressor. So you see countries like Finland where if you are hunting, you have to have one. Right. Right. right yeah. uh, there's a noise pollution issue um, as well as, you know, people want what's best for an animal. And you're saying, well, it's hard to determine what's best for an animal when you're hunting it. But at the same time, if there's less noise pollution, less shock to others in the area, yeah, you might be hunting a deer or what have you, but doesn't mean that there's not other animals in that environment that you wouldn't be hunting that were, you know, they're going to yeah. get spooked or frightened off birds or whatever. Sure. So there's sadly no suppressors up north. What about when it comes to ARs, AR-15s, like all the things that we enjoy here? Is that How does that work there? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much a reflexive judgment as well. So anything that has the title AR-15, M4 type rifle variant, AK variant, they are all, well, you, well to make it easy in this conversation, you can't take them outside. <laughs> They're never really going to see the light of day. They can go, you, you can shoot them at qualified ranges and what have you, and then you have to take them home. Sure. And then they get yeah. locked up and they just live in there until you okay. bust them out again. Yeah. But there's other types of sporting rifles, many different types of sporting rifles. RFB. Yeah, like an RFB. Yes. Um, and, and that's why Caltech, from my perspective, yes, Mini 14. Nice. In fact, when you saw a lot of these, um, the escalation of, of policy and law regarding the possession of firearms in Canada was unfortunately at the tail of a horrific accident in, well, not accident, an occurrence in Quebec. Some people were were shot, massacred. Yeah. Um, so all these new rules came out, and oddly, you know, we're, we're banning AKs, we're banning ARs, but the rifle type that was used in that massacre was not mm-hmm. was not banned. Well, that's super common. Yeah, yeah. shocker for us. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of unusual, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they've, they've been after the AR-15 in America forever, and up until recently, I don't think even an AR-15 has been used in a mass. Yeah mass killing you know mass shooting you know no the prevalence of that is just so low in fact if anything maybe yeah. the the media glorified the ar-15 so much that this idiot in vegas you know decided yeah. to take it upon himself to call his people using ar you know i mean it's uh, not fact to we say? don't know it's total sure. speculation but yep. uh, you know it hadn't been done and now it has so don't know yeah you know. yeah so true well cool I, I appreciate you let me uh indulge a little bit as far as like picking your brain uh, on that somewhat. Uh, There's not much to pick, but feel free. <laughs> Slim picking. Yeah, that's a crow on a dry bone. <laughs> He's you, modest. you know, you're not half bad, too, as a Canadian. Tap. I, mean, I, I, I totally wouldn't have called it, either. Well, <laughs> we, we take lessons about having to conceal ourselves, right? <laughs> the first year is how to cut out the A out of your sound, right? <laughs> and then the second is trading A for a huh. Because now you're really like... Badass they are, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect. I love it. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, due to uh, some other interviews we have coming up, we're getting short on time. Um, anything else you want to get out there? I mean, exciting new products? Any anything that you can tease us with, or you you're just going to stay mum on some of that? Can't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, word come down from George. Actually, word went up to George. George, can we please stop telling people? And then now that and word I, has come back down from George, yes, we're not telling anybody about <laughs> our stuff anymore. So. And I, I, did that start with you going up? Is that it, what you mean? Yeah, <laughs> it did because I, I 
being the, for lack of a better term, face of a company, I get beat up for stuff like that. Where is my PMR 30? That was the biggest thing for the longest time. You yeah, know? Because, yeah. Uh, I'll just go over this super quickly. We have to build the infrastructure to build the guns. So we're simultaneously actually building our company to meet the product that we're putting out. So it takes us a little while to get things ramped up. So instead of showing something and then going back and trying to build that infrastructure, we're going to build the infrastructure first and then show the gun so that we can go straight into production and get the guns out right away. So, And, and frankly, I mean, I hear you say things like that. I think, where the heck are you going to do that? You know, having been there, it's like you guys are a capacity. Uh, we are, we are, yeah. but we we keep finding ways. We're we're making people's offices smaller. We're closing <laughs> down bathrooms here, and we do whatever we can. We uh -huh. actually got rid of a huge chunk of our uh, uh, our parking lot was a big field, and we got rid of the field so we could add you know More stuff to that. We bought an, another building uh, recently uh, down the street to warehouse things. So we took warehouse stuff out of the manufacturing facility, moved it down there and now we have more manufacturing capabilities. So we're constantly trying to like put stuff in every corner of the building. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, amazing. Presently, I mean, having been there for and seeing it firsthand, I mean, for you to really significantly expand it in any way, you'd have to move the company. Yeah. Ideally someday we'll have, uh, we'll have a, a all in one, all, you know, big giant building with everybody under one roof. And, yeah. uh, that's, that's something that we'll look forward to. Um, we've got, uh, another Kelgren has come on board. Uh, uh, another one of George's sons, and he's going to actually be the uh, production manager, for lack of a better word. He's going to oversee everything. Uh, so Derek, his son that runs the company now, is is going to take over um, uh, more on the human resources side, and his uh, brother Adrian is going to come in. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy, as you can imagine. He's a Kelvin, so he's going to yeah. come in, and he's going to take over the manufacturing side and smooth out uh, any wrinkles that we have and create a different flow. He's got a long-term 35-year projection um, that he's looking wow. at because Adrian and Derek are going to take over when George uh, retires someday, if George retires. Wow. And uh, and so, yeah, these guys want to they want to continue their dad's legacy and they want to do it the right way. So he's going to come in, take over all that stuff, but we're going to be able to benefit that from that right away, yeah. uh, our cut, our, the employees and the customers. So 35-year yeah. plan. I can't even think past tomorrow breakfast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's amazing. Because so, there's so many buffet choices in Vegas. That's right. That's why. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me say also that Adrian's plan uh, is specifically for customers. But this is all based yeah. on what our customers want. We want to start to meet those demands um, that we have. We want to be able to fill all those orders much quicker. And, um, and, and it's all, so it's all out of a, an attitude of, making our customers happy. So, and that's why yeah. he's coming in to do what he's going to do. So that's part of the Caltech yeah. culture. It's about focusing on the end user. And if we, if, if, if Caltech makes it good for them, then everything else just works. And that's, that's, right. that's inherent in everything you guys are doing. Yep. Yeah. Cause even though we're employees, we're also customers. We all have Caltech products. We all love, we all take out and shoot. So yep. tons of, just, for sure. it's all circular, lots of feedback, you know, all good things, man. <laughs> <laughs> More so so yeah. just for the record, because I know it comes up all the time, you guys are building guns as fast as you possibly can. As fast. Right now. Well, you saw, yeah, we're max capacity. There's no question yeah. about it. We yeah. saw it firsthand. And I think even after, we, I was talking with somebody, they're like, do they need to really up production on such and such? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. dude, I saw it firsthand. It's 24-7. Like, it's <laughs> and, 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 you know, I say this all the time. Uh, people don't understand that if you want a, a folding 9-millimeter carbine, there's only one place to get it, you know. So we have to, trying to meet the demand is super hard when you're a company of 300 people, you know, and, and expanding, we don't want to over expand, you know, because if you look around, there's a lot of companies here that didn't show up this year because yeah. they folded, you know, and we, yeah. we, you know, we certainly don't want to be those companies. And we're also, 
not sure what the customer is going to like. We come out with a new gun. We don't know how it's going to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? So uh, we're getting better at preparing for demand. Um, but in the past, it's, it's been really tough because we had no idea anybody wanted a pump shotgun that was 26 inches long. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> look around. There's a million pump shotguns out there from manufacturers that, you know, we, we had no idea that anybody would want our stuff over their stuff. So we came out with it and we're like, oh, crap. You know, really got caught with our <laughs> pants down on that one. You know? And it seems like it's, it's been that way for the last several products. And so now we've started to understand, okay, there's, there is that Caltech culture and we've got fans and they're going to want the stuff, you know, no matter, yeah. no matter what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. You've, you've managed that expectation that they're going to get a quality product. Yeah. It'll awesome. get better. I promise you guys it's going to get better. It'll be, we'll start to meet those demands uh, as you know, well, years we, come. We, we would, we would just assume you'd be in business. Yeah. So we appreciate the cautious uh, approach as well. <laughs> Well, Chad, Devin, thank you so much, guys. It's thank been you. a pleasure. Of thank course, you for always. coming by and being pleasure. a part of our podcast. Thanks yeah, again. We really do. Thank Appreciate you, guys. It. Awesome. And cool. in the show notes here, too, we're going to include a video of the tour uh, that we did yep. at the Caltech facility. So for those of you who are listening, make sure you look for that link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's fun seeing it, like I said, firsthand. Walking, We walked through the whole facility. We saw it all. A uh, really great video. So. so glad you guys came. That was fun. Yeah, was yeah. Good. Uh, hey, real quick, uh, Caltech uh, website or any yeah, Facebook, Kel whatever. Caltechweapons.com. Um, if you just Google Caltech, uh, K-E-L-T-E-C, you'll see all things Caltech there. Yeah. Our our Facebook page is just uh, Facebook forward slash Caltech. Um, I think it's Caltech. It might be Caltech yep. Weapons. It'll pop up. There's a few things. There's a couple owners groups and stuff on there. Um, yep. You'll see our gray uh, flag logo on there. Just click on that and say hi to me uh, i'm gonna be doing a lot more live videos and stuff and maybe if you guys can come back down we can do some some fun stuff there too Heck some yeah. media stuff but yeah just all things caltech it's all out there go check it out you know say hi to me i manage all that stuff so if you leave an email or comment i'm the guy that's answering that stuff yeah, so, yeah. awesome yep. thanks again we'll see you later thank you there you have it our interview with chad enos and his friend Devin uh from caltech weapons uh and uh yeah, I mean, good dude, good good company, good people. Yeah, I don't know that I have much to add other than what we said in there. Caltech's awesome. Go check out their products and stuff. So uh, I, I'm showing you here on the camera, and I know that this doesn't make this is this doesn't help those that are only listening to the podcast. But uh, I'll do, I'll do my best to describe it as, as best I can. Do you know what I have in this nondescript bag, Jacob? I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess it's a Caltech gun. <laughs> so what I have here is it, I got this idea. I had to give credit to my friend Rob, uh, and it's not the other Rob that's I think viewing the the podcast right now. That's an instructor in Ohio, but uh, but another friend of mine that uh, he's been a fan of Caltech for a long time. He, I, I got the sub two thousand nine millimeter folding carbine. It's it's fantastic, and he's like, dude, I gotta find one of these oxygen tank bags for you. And uh, as soon as I do, I, I'll, I'll get, get it over to you. So he has kept his in a similar bag because they fit perfectly. So this is a, a bag that, you know, someone that has to pack around a little oxygen tank where, wherever they go, that's what would go in this bag. And it's even labeled, you know, Apria Healthcare. Okay, so very nondescript bag. It's kind of dirty. I need to wash it. But uh, what's cool is unzip this and out comes the Caltech Sub 2000, all folded up, deploy it, right, ready to go, and then I can just have a bunch of mags in here, you know, magazines. I've got a, right here, I've got a 30, you know, three-rounder uh, Glock mag, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm ready to go. 
just totally covert, concealed, whatever. Uh, I could be slinging that over my shoulder, have maybe a little oxygen tube, tube coming out of the bag and, you know, have it <laughs> my nose. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if you, if you were going to have some oxygen <laughs> tubes floating around. So otherwise, I don't, I don't know that it's as covert as you, as you like it to be. <laughs> I know. No, but it, it, it actually just makes a really great bag for packing this thing around. And, sure, and this, sure. is, this is like my truck gun. You know, I put it in the bag, a couple of magazines in there, throw it underneath the seat in the, in the back of the truck. And, uh, you know, when I go camping or whatever, it's, it's there, it's ready to go. Very easy to grab and, and quick to deploy. Um, I love these things. The sub 2000 is a fun shooting gun. Um, it's pretty darn accurate. It's good enough for what you need. Um, my son enjoys shooting this. In fact, he's a really good shot with the sub 2000 and Jacob, you're now an owner of uh, sub 2000 as well. That I am. Yep. In fact, you bought from me the, uh, Caltech Sub 2000 American Marksman Edition, which I, yeah, I happen I think to emotionally you just couldn't hold on to it. <laughs> that that gun unfortunately uh, was the uh, was my demise at the American Marksman uh, National Championship yeah. Finals. So uh, let's just say that something to do with the sights not being exactly sighted in when I was going head to head against somebody might have had something to do with it. Anyway, whatever you got to tell yourself. <laughs> you were there. You witnessed it, you punk. All right. So uh, let's get to some, some Q&A. All right. So first of all, I've got a question here uh, from uh, John. And he asks this, or he, he points out this. It's really not, not so much a question as it was him commenting on episode 207 of the podcast uh, where we spoke of uh, background checks. And he said he forgot that we forgot to take into account people like me who have a CCW and are not subject to background checks each time I purchase a firearm in the state of Nevada. I bought two last week and the CCW, his permit, is, is my background check. Uh, I am sure you're missing quite a few gun sales if you don't account for these. So it's actually a really good observation, John, and, and it is something that we are aware of. You just kind of forget about it. I've been in Colorado now for nine years and, and they don't allow me to just show my permit and walk out, you know, the door of the gun store with my gun. Uh, although prior to Colorado, I lived in Idaho and Idaho works that way. I could show, I could, you know, go up to the desk, uh, pick my gun, hand them my driver's license and my permit. And that was all they needed. As soon as I paid my cash or my money or whatever, I'm walking out the store with a gun. You know, more states should do that too. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because it incentivizes training, right? It's one more good reason a person should obtain a permit. And in states like Nevada uh, and, and, you know, Utah is another one where you can use your permit, your background check. There is some training required to get that permit. So if a person buys a lot of guns, you might say, well, I'd like to get a permit just so I don't have to go through these background checks every time. And so, boom, now you, you're giving someone another incentive to actually take a class and get some training. So anyway, my little sidebar there. Yeah. Well, and it just makes sense to me. I mean, think about this. The background check that most states put you through to obtain a permit is more in-depth, is more thorough, and probably more accurate than the very cursory glance that they take at, you know, the NICS system uh, when, you know, when putting your name in for a quick background check to buy a gun. Uh, but yeah, either way, I think the 
the point of the email we got was we were talking about how many guns are being sold and, right. and trying, using the NICS background check number as a reference to kind of say, well, this is indicative of how many guns are being sold. And it probably still is indicative relative to itself, right? It's still an easy way to compare this month versus that month or this year versus last year. But to the point of the person who emailed us, uh, it's, it's not a very all-inclusive idea of how many guns are being sold because there are so many, well, so many, there are several states where, you know, no background check is technically performed in order to buy the gun. Not to mention, you know, private transactions and all the other things you brought up last time. Yep. And Jason comments here that even with his permit, they still run background checks here in Florida. Uh, And that is true of most states. Uh, So yeah, you're definitely not alone in that. Um, All right. So next question. This one is uh, from... Damien, he didn't say I couldn't use his name. And so we're usually pretty sensitive, though. We don't typically give first and last names here. So Damien writes in, though, and he says, Hey, guys, I stumbled onto the podcast a few months ago and really enjoy it. Glad to hear it, Damien, by the way. Uh, Thank you for putting it on. Keep up the good work. I have a question. And if you have addressed it in a podcast, please let me know so I can check it out. Basically, I have been carrying for several years, and my wife knows, but I have kept it a secret from my kids. It's not that I don't want my kids to know, but I am concerned that my kids, particularly my 10-year-old son, will bring it up in public, school, church, or with friends. And in most circles, I want the fact that I carry to remain concealed. Something that makes keeping this a secret is that my kids tend to be affectionate with me and give me hugs frequently, and while I guard my weapon side, it can be a challenge. One time, my son did bump into me and hit the butt of my pistol and asked what was so hard that he hit. I was able to play it off that it was my phone. But as he gets older, I may not be be able to play it off so easy. Do you have any advice on how to deal with and or when to discuss concealed carry with kids? Now, we, we... we did actually respond to Damien's email directly, but we wanted to share a lot of that response with you guys uh, live on the podcast today. Yeah, I have a 10-year-old son. Riley, you have an 11-year-old, 11-year-old son? Yeah. So <clears throat> let me make this real fast, easy, and painless. The age, the exact age at which you should begin talking to your children about guns, including the fact that you carry one around concealed, is zero. It's easy to remember, and it's just true. The age is zero. I, I'm a huge believer in knowing something is better than knowing nothing, right? Education, knowledge, and experience are always preferable to ignorance or mystery or curiosity. And I don't, I know, I know that like maybe you would hear that and you say, well, I, I get that about the fact about the guns exist and that they're in the home. But what about specifically the idea that I'm carrying one around, right? I, I have today a seven-year-old. I've been carrying guns concealed daily since both my kids were born. And they know, they're fully aware. Like, in fact, if they see a sign that says no guns, they'll like come up and like pull on my, sh- dad, dad, it says you can't have a gun in here, dad. Like they'll tell me, they'll be like, dad, dad, I don't think, I don't think we can go in there. You know, are, do you have your gun? And they'll whiper, you know, like, like it's because they know that we're not supposed to talk about it and they know why we're not supposed to talk about it. They, they know that we don't go running around saying we have guns because some people aren't comfortable with that or because the police might get confused and think we're bad, that I'm a bad person. So they just, we just, I just tell them. And I think my, my kids, I believe that all kids are intelligent enough to understand what that means and, and, and the seriousness of it and deal with that. And that's a lot easier than me being like, oh, that hard thing you just bumped into, oh, that's my phone. And, and so I understand some of the trepidation, but I, I feel very strongly on this. Yeah. I'm in complete agreement with you, Jacob, that uh, I, I feel it's, 
far better uh, of an approach to begin educating your children and educating them young. And not just educating them about gun and gun safety, but educating them about all aspects of my life as, as I interact and how I interact with my guns. And a very key part of that is the fact that I carry concealed and carry on a daily basis. Then some of my response to Damien went something along the lines of, dude, stop lying to your kids. <laughs> uh, and I mean that in a, in a very just um, genuine way that I think it's really important that we are honest with our children. Um, I, I get that, you know, maybe sometimes or some of us or some of our families or actually many of our families, oh, we may have the tradition of, of Santa Claus and, and, and maybe even the Easter Bunny, which, you know, is coming, Easter is coming up here soon. And, uh, you know, maybe we're, we are lying to our kids. I mean, yes, we have the tradition of Santa in our household. Uh, we don't play on it, you know, or play off of it too much. Uh, we like to keep, you know, uh, other things at the center of Christmas and you probably get catch my drift. Um, but, but it's important, I think, especially in really practical things and self-defense is a practical thing. Guns are tools. They are important tools to me and to my family. I think it's important that my children understand that I take their safety and security very seriously. And there have been times where they've been frightened. In fact, a couple of years ago, I shared in the early days of the podcast, I shared this experience. I've spoken on it a few times when we had the carjacking uh, suspect that came right through our property, that came right up this, you know, in, into our backyard where my children could have been playing down the side of my house and in front of my house and around my vehicles. This dude was, was hiding out. Uh, we were aware of it. I was ready to go if need be. I had, you know, a means of defense. Uh, I was on the phone with 911 and my kids were kind of, you know, a little bit freaked out down in the basement of the home where, where my wife was keeping them uh, uh, away from things. And uh, it, it was comforting to me to be able to tell them and actually see from them too. They recognized that dad was ready and, and ready and, and willing and able uh, to potentially deal with any threat that might arise from that. Uh, and we, we've had very practical discussions about that. So I, I think the correct approach is to be honest with your kids, to teach them the facts, to teach them truth, uh, to teach them how the real world works, and also take away the curiosity that surrounds, you know, these, these things sometimes, you know, for firearm, my big concern for Damien Jacob would be that because he is kind of keeping it quiet from the kids that someday I guarantee you, they will discover the fact that you have a gun. And if you have not talked with them about it regularly enough or openly enough, that may be a, its own problem in that it brings up a lot of curiosity for your child. And that may lead them to uh, wanting to touch or play with or discover, uh, you know, explore that firearm. Yeah, I'll give you two other thoughts here and then I'll, I'll answer another question that's come up in, in relation yeah. to this. <clears throat> here, here are two other considerations. One would be, how are the kids going to bring up the topic with you if they don't know it's a topic to bring up? right? It, we want kids to, to feel at ease to discuss things like drugs and sex and guns and whatever else is going on in society. So if we treat them like sick, secret mystery things, then it's difficult for the child to begin a conversation about those topics. And the last thing we want is to uh, do anything that could inhibit conversation. 
right? That that's really bad. So that that's one thing to consider. Uh, another thing that I would throw out there is that if your kids don't know you're carrying, then how are you building a family reaction plan, right? If my kids didn't know I carried a gun, then how would I explain to them what to do if we're at the mall and so and we start hearing gunshots, right? I, I think a real key part of being prepared is is creating sort of these response plans, whether it's in the house at night or during the day, whether we're here, there, in the car, whatever to some degree, as appropriate for the age of the children, we talk to our family as a family about what we're going to do, what each person's role is, what I expect them in the movie. If we go to a movie theater, we talk about that on the way. Okay, if this happens, this is what yeah. I expect you to do. And I don't know how that conversation would make any sense if they didn't know I had a gun on me. So that'd be another thought is the second you broach the subject and you start to be able to talk openly about the fact that you're carrying, it allows you to have these other conversations that are extraordinarily valuable to everyone's survival. Yep. Yeah, I think it's also appropriate and perhaps necessary. I mean, one of the, Damien's concerns was his child uh, basically breaching OPSEC, you know, I mean, operational security and, and mentioning to somebody, a friend, uh, a church member, whatever, a school teacher or a schoolmate that he, his dad has a gun or carries a gun. Talk to your kid about the importance of keeping that information secure, keeping it within the household. Uh, I've done that with my own kids. You know, they know I carry a gun. They know it's on me basically 24-7, or at least it's within arm's reach because it's in, you know, when I'm sleeping, it's in a quick access safe uh, in my bedroom near where I sleep. Uh, They know all that, but they also know that it's important to me and important to our family that that is not information that is just you know, prolif- you know, put out there, you know, to the general public, it's, it is a, a secure thing in our household. Uh, I will just add that m- my kids interact with me on a daily basis and my gun is frequent. In fact, frankly, around the house, a lot of times I- I've got my shirt, you know, just pulled, I've, I'm actually carrying openly inside my, my home. So my kids see it. Yeah. And it becomes, you know, it normalizes them to that aspect. It just becomes a tool. It's not even a topic of discussion. It's not even something of interest, except for when dad says, hey, kids, want to go to the range? And then, whoo, suddenly they're super excited about that. But our normal day-to-day activities, it's not even an issue. It doesn't even come up. Yep. Uh, now, a couple of questions come up or some discussion that we've seen here what, as we've been recording. Some people have made comments about, well, you know, maybe should I have it un, you know, unchambered, right? No round in the yeah. chamber when I'm at home or when I'm playing with the kids or, or you know, in X, Y, Z environment. You can fill in the blank, whatever you think it is. And I would caution strongly against that. And I think, you know, you go back and you can listen to episode 18. I was not in episode 18. It was uh, Riley and Matthew talked about the idea of carrying around in the chamber. But I would summarize that professionals in this industry would basically tell you this that your objective as a concealed carrier is to get to the point where you're comfortable carrying around in the chamber all the time. Okay. So, so we're all a little bit sympathetic that initially out of the gate, you might not feel comfortable doing so. And that's okay, but it is definitely better to always have around in the chamber. And I, I get extraordinarily concerned about the idea of sometimes I have it in the chamber. Sometimes I don't you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, just the, the mere fact that that's a lot of gun handling. What is, I mean, am I going like, to come home from work? I'm like, okay, I'll get my gun out, drop a mag, rack the slide, drop around into the chamber, put the mag back in, and then put the gun back in my – if I'm doing that twice a day every time I come in and out of the house, that's a lot of gun handling. That's a lot of opportunity for something bad to happen that doesn't need to be taking place. I don't understand why, why I would do that. The, the second thing is what I would call the muscle memory response problem. How exactly is it you're training? 
are you training to to draw and shoot or are you training to draw rack a slide and shoot because if you're if you i mean how you're carrying two different ways so i have to assume you're training two different ways that sounds like a horrible idea i I don't i don't think that makes a lot of sense so i would say this like if your gun's in a holster and that holster is a good holster meaning that it you know it it covers the trigger guard properly and nothing can get in there and pull the trigger and you have active retention which is also a consideration of a quality holster so it's not going to fall out when you're horsing around with the kids then what's the problem? I don't, I don't see any issue for me whatsoever. Yeah. I could just about guarantee you that, uh, if you have, if you, if you're basically, if you're bouncing around between chambered and unchambered on a regular basis, uh, and by that, I mean, specifically, I mean, chambered and unchambered carry, I could just about guarantee you that when the crap hits the fan, you're not going to remember whether you're chambered or not. And, uh, at least I can tell you, you're going to have a, there's a high probability you're not going to remember. And so either you, you've got to train by default to constant, you know, to always rack your slide and chamber around before you engage, uh, or you're going to forget to, and you're going to pull the trigger and you're going to hear the loudest click you've ever heard. And so that, you know, I mean, so probably the best thing is to always practice chambering. Well, then you're probably ejecting rounds that are unnecessary. Uh, and so, you know, and thereby limiting the capacity of your weapon that may already be limited if you're using one of these smaller subcompacts or micro compacts with six or seven rounds in them. So the point is, yeah, uh, I, I'm a big proponent of chambered carry all the time. The, the important thing is to do it responsibly. And, and that is to have a quality holster and be familiar with your gun and the holster and your mode of carry and have confidence in that. So, you know, I've got today, I'm using one. We've talked about these before. I've got my Q-Series Stealth Holster. and Or is this the Covert? Covert. I, I guess the Covert. I guess the I guess, Q-Series I, Covert. You know, Stealth and yeah. Covert, like two words. That, I mean, they're synonyms. <laughs> so I mix them up all the time. The, the other one, the, okay, is it the Stealth and it's the little clip? I think so. I think, I think the one you're carrying right now, that OWB two-clip is, the, is covert. the Covert. All right. So anyway, that's what I'm carrying with today. I mean, I've had this thing for so long. I've had this for like two years, and I, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, I just know it's a really great holster. It's a hard-sided holster. It's got a great protection over the trigger guard. Like, you know, this thing is not capable of firing as long as the gun's in the holster. So chambered carry, not an issue, all right? We've debated this many times. Um, there's been some comments, obviously, uh, and actually, Joseph is popping back in here and saying, I do practice a chamber pull. Does that mean you practice racking the slide? Uh, Rick says, uh, so increase the possibility of getting into an out of battery when one round would have done it. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, the, the practicing to rack your slide prior to engaging a threat, you do introduce the additional possibility that in the course of racking that slide, your gun fails to go into battery. Yeah, failure to feed or something like that. So these are all valid points, and this is why I believe in chambered carry all the time. Yeah, I, I can't I can't overemphasize how much better chambered carry is. But I also, again, will repeat that I'm sympathetic if you're not comfortable with it. Go listen to episode 18 because if you think that the only consideration is speed, you are sorely mistaken. It's not about speed. In fact, if you train properly, you shouldn't be that much slower. I mean, we're talking less than half a second to rack the slide in your draw stroke versus not having to rack the slide. So if, if the speed were the only argument, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, pick one and train it. But there's tons of other reasons why chambered carry is significantly 
better. So go listen to episode yeah. 18, learn all those yeah. things. But, but here'd be my thought. If you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. Like we, I promise I don't judge you. I don't hate you. I don't think you're a bad person, but do it all the time, right? I cannot, I cannot imagine in my mind the idea of not carrying chambered some of the time and other times chambering, but then still planning to rack the slide when I draw. I don't, I don't get that at all. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, we do, I do intend to move on here, but uh, Joseph does make another good point, Jacob. And, he, and it's not just about whether you're comfortable with it or not. What about other family? And he says, family has issues about me carrying around the kids and they feel better about it. I think by that he means better about him not carrying with a round chambered. And I would say, you know what? I, I respect that. I understand the sure. sensitivity of family you know, related issues, but I would say that's also an opportunity to perhaps educate your family, uh, be respectful, obviously, and, and approach it in, in an appropriate way. Uh, but that's an opportunity to educate your family as well. Uh, I mean, understanding the basic mechanics of a gun and how it works. I mean, understanding that this Glock and many other guns just like it in this day and age are basically incapable of moving the firing pin past the, the firing pin safety and making contact with the round unless several things happen within that gun that makes that possible. And, and they all basically hinge around the idea of a trigger being pulled. And so, uh, you know, that's understanding the mechanics of a gun, how they operate, uh, how, what they are capable of or not capable of, having quality holster, things of that nature. Proper education, I think, goes a long ways. But I understand, Joseph, you're in probably a difficult situation. <laughs> <laughs> and he adds another comment. One of the family members being a school teacher. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got you, bro. Good luck with that. <laughs> so let's go on now to uh, nothing against teachers, by the way, because there's many good teachers, <laughs> but I think what he's trying to say is it may not go well having this, this conversation with them. Pepper spray and concealed carry a question from a loyal listener. Could you discuss your thoughts on carrying pepper spray while also carrying a concealed handgun? I understand the benefits of having a non-lethal means of deterring a violent attack, but what if the use of pepper spray only aggravates an assailant to the point where lethal force becomes necessary? Could I be viewed as having escalated the level of violence? Do I increase the likelihood of being seen as the initial aggressor? What if I'm presented with an immediate, unavoidable, deadly threat and use my handgun instead of pepper spray? Would a prosecutor be likely to use arguments such as, why didn't you just use the pepper spray you were carrying? In short, do the pros outweigh the cons? I greatly appreciate your time and consideration on this topic. Yeah. So I guess the short answer is whatever we say right now in this episode would be the first thing you probably want to bring to trial. Um, and you could say, well, I listened to this podcast and this is what they told me. But, but <laughs> here are experts. <laughs> that's right. You can call us on, on the stand. Uh, my fee is very reasonable as an expert witness. So I, I guess I, you know, all the legal things aside, because I think the majority of this question from our listener is about the legal implications, right? So, so just for a minute, before we dive into that, putting the legal implications aside, I, I totally understand the premise of carrying non-lethal options. And in fact, I'm inclined to say, the more things you can carry, the better, right? In an ideal world, I'd carry pepper spray and I'd carry a taser debatably and I'd probably carry three spare mags and a really good tactical flashlight and a good tactical pen and body armor. And like, you know, in an ideal world, we'd carry all that stuff and we'd have a, an assortment of tools available to us. Now, none of us live in an ideal world, so we all kind of take what would be perfect and we have to 
kind of work our way backwards to the point where we can reasonably get, you know, do something, right? And so for most of us, that means we can just carry a gun. And, and for some of us, that's a very small gun or it's a gun that's probably not in the best carry position possible. And so I, I get that. So yes, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of carrying more options, but that doesn't mean more training, right? I mean, that means there's more tools you need to know how to, to deploy effectively and correctly and, and, and all that. So, so hopefully that kind of gets us to the point where we can talk about the legal implications. Yeah. So one thing to understand to your points, Jacob, about having more options is that the more options you have, particularly now it's more of an issue when you have, when you begin increasing options from like one to two to three, and it's less of an issue when you have five or six or seven options and you're increasing by one. But, uh, uh, when you increase number of options, you know, different things that your brain, your mind has to process in your decision-making process, then you are actually, you are adding to your response time your reaction time. Okay. That's one thing that is important to understand that's relevant to this discussion, but I'm not saying that or intending to discourage carrying of options. I'm just making sure that we understand that by having additional options, we do add to our reaction time. Okay. And that's scientifically proven. Now, specifically to pepper spray, what is pepper spray exactly? Now, technically, you know, in the legal world, uh, or at least in the law enforcement world that I'm familiar with, this is, we refer to this as OC spray. And I'm holding here a canister. This is law enforcement, law enforcement grade, I guess. It, I don't know if that makes any sense because all the civilian stuff I've seen is basically, as far as I can tell, the same stuff as far as it's got the same active ingredients, the same level of heat, if you will. But uh, although this, is, I do, you typically find law enforcement uh, uh, canisters are in greater quantities. Okay, and this is a this is a can of expired uh, spray that I no longer you know can carry because it's expired. Uh, I have it here on the shelf. I have it available if for some reason in the office here. I can grab this and use it. I don't imagine myself having that situation here in the house, but but I have it anyway. As to the question about does this present an issue with regards to your defense as far as being viewed as having escalated an incident, here's the important thing to understand. Use of force, regardless of what that force is, always has to be deemed as being reasonable, right? And so, in other words, one of the big uh criteria that I use to, to determine this is, can I articulate, can I explain all the reasons why I felt it necessary to do what I did? And if you can articulate, well, because this guy did this and he did that, or he said this and then did this, I mean, whatever the situation is, if you can articulate what he did and then, and thus why you felt it necessary to move to, you know, this use of force, that's important. That has to be present. If the problem is, is if you can't articulate why you did what you did, that's a problem, right? And so can pepper spray be a reasonable use of force in certain situations? Absolutely. Could it potentially escalate that situation? It could, meaning that you spray somebody with this and but I don't know if I would consider that escalation that, you know, if they continue to, uh, to attack you or whatever, um, the hope would be that this would deter them. 
That's that's what the goal of this tool is. This this hopefully will de-escalate a situation and keep it from going to a deadly force uh, level. Okay, and so I would actually, as a prosecutor, now I'm not a prosecutor and I'm not an attorney, and I know that not all prosecutors or juries, for that matter, would even view it necessarily in this way. But this is generally how it should work, <laughs> and thus hopefully you have a really good defense attorney uh, if you ever get to this point. But I think the key would be showing that by by the fact that I actually used this as opposed to go straight going straight to my gun would indicate that I was attempting to find other avenues of solving the problem other than using deadly force. Even not I, using it, right? Even even if I just ha- just having it with me. I mean, you you mentioned in the question something to the effect of, well, does having it with me, you know, infer that I use deadly force when I didn't need to? Well, man, if I was your defense attorney, I'd be like, look, my client carries this because he doesn't want to have to use deadly force. He hopes that he'll just be able to resolve issues with this pepper spray. So I think you got to understand that both defense attorneys and prosecutors will take all of the evidence available to them and spin it however they want to spin it. And that's, that's why attorneys get paid well. That's why you get a good defense attorney and you try and articulate why you did what you did and why that, that is, that's viable, you know, and, and, and you have to try and convince a 12 man jury that that was reasonable and good of you. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I'm not aware of any precedents or anything out there that would suggest anything, you know, that would directly answer this question. I, I would just say, I don't think it's for any downside, there's probably this, a similar and comparable upside. Yeah. Where, where you would have a problem. Let me just give a specific example is somebody is screaming expletives at you. And yes, maybe you feel threatened on some level, but all it is is just words. And you immediately pull this out and go, shh, <laughs> and spray them in the face with the pepper spray. Like, that might be a problem. I mean, unless they're screaming at you and saying, I'm going to F and kill you. I, you know, and I, I have a knife here in my back pocket that I'm about to pull out and I'm going to stab you with. I mean, that's one thing. But if, if all you're if, if all it is is a screaming, you know, match, a, an argument of some sort, and you immediately jump to spraying somebody in the face with pepper spray, that would maybe be considered unreasonable. So that's a problem. So once again, you have to be able to articulate the reasons why you do certain things. I, I like your point, Jacob, about suggesting that the fact that I carried this would perhaps indicate that I, I'm, I was at least open to other options. I would have considered other things. Keep in mind that there are specific circumstances when deadly force may or may not be used. Once again, you have to be able to articulate those reasons. Uh, if you're outside of your home in particular, there's got to be a threat to life. And so, I mean, as far as being judged in a courtroom that, well, maybe he didn't have to use the gun. Well, you, you have to meet the standard for using that deadly force, regardless of what tools you have on your belt with you. If you, you either meet that standard or you don't, there's either a threat against life or there isn't. There's either a weapon, a deadly weapon involved by your, your uh, adversary or there isn't. There, you know, it either is a deadly force case or it's not, right? And so once again, the level of force that is used needs to be reasonable considering the circumstances. Going back to the beginning, training is key. If you're going to carry this, I would advise getting some training. If you're going to carry other tools, I would advise being trained in those tools as well. That includes knives. That includes batons, kubatons. That would include just about anything that you might carry for use of, de- of self-defense. 
I would encourage you having training for those tools and understanding the laws involving all of them. Uh, in on top of that, having a gun and being well trained in that, and that's why this is such a great responsibility that we take upon ourselves. So, I think that's the questions we we plan to go through. But we've had a lot of commentary in the Facebook comments today, Jacob, about this YouTube policy. Don't want to spend a lot of time on it necessarily, but I think it is because it's been brought up and people are wondering about it. First of all, what is the change in the YouTube policy? Can you give us a quick summary of that? Yeah, roughly speaking, the change in the YouTube policy is that YouTube is cranking down harder on moderating or not allowing videos that promote the sale of firearms and some firearm accessories. Specifically, the accessories that they kind of talked about in the press release were things that are like firearm parts like sears, uh, bump stocks, and ammo. So they probably, though the policy is pretty open-ended, but they probably aren't concerned about videos that talk about holsters or, you know, those kinds of accessories. They're, they're probably really concerned about things like high-capacity magazines, uh, you know, things that make the trigger go bang a lot faster or bump stocks that make it, you know, high auto rate of fire, um, you know, those kinds of things. And they're definitely concerned about a video that would be like, hey, check out the new Glock whatever. You know, you can buy it today. Click here. That would definitely not be allowed you know, based on the new YouTube terms. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, uproar and I, I would say I'm not happy about it either. You know, that here, here's the ultimate like game play here that we have to understand is that the, these companies see themselves as being you know, with deep pockets, potentially liable. And so they create policies to protect their business. And I'm sympathetic to that uh, to some degree, even if I think it's dumb or stupid or not a good decision. And the rest of us get to decide what to do about it. We get to decide if we're going to continue to create content, and put it on YouTube. You get to decide if you're going to go to YouTube and watch videos there. And un unfortunately it would take a lot of stuff on YouTube's end to make us change our behavior because when there, you have a really deeply ingrained behavior, the barrier to you changing that behavior is extremely high. So bear that in mind. I'll, I'll also quickly add, and I know that I'm talking about more than you asked me to, to say on this topic, Riley, that YouTube has been pretty good about correcting mistakes. So recently they, they took down the entire YouTube channel for Walther Arms but then they realized that they'd made a mistake, that nothing there had actually violated their policy, so they put it back. Uh, so, so YouTube has traditionally been pretty good about not going beyond their mandate, and when they do, you know, repairing the damage. So you know, keep, keep that in mind as well. Yeah. It, it's a policy that I'm concerned about, obviously. Uh, we're all concerned about it. A lot of YouTube channels are concerned about it. Uh, you know, it, my comments on this, though, are that it's concerning as far as I, I think it's not right. I don't think it's fair to target the firearms industry, to target the Second Amendment. We are talking about something that is completely legal. I mean, in, in most instances, as far as the, well, bump stocks are being made illegal in certain places. So maybe those won't be legal much longer. But up to this point, bump stocks, uh, various trigger you know, modifications, uh, you know, okay, they, they mentioned drop-in auto sears. Well, if you're licensed to do that, if you have a class three, you know, and, and you're able to do that as part of your firearm business, then, okay, you, you could do that. Uh, as to why you can't 
show videos showing the product that you make or that you manufacture. I don't know why that would be a problem. Now, magazines greater than 30 round capacity, not necessarily legal, maybe in some jurisdictions. So, I mean, it bothers me that they are targeting aspects of uh, certain YouTube channels um, that are completely legal and protected, perhaps, I guess, I mean, they are protected by the Second Amendment. They're targeting those. It's, It's not fair. It's not right. However, we see commentary that, well, this is a restriction of First Amendment rights. And while on the surface that may seem to be the case, I don't necessarily agree that that's the case. Uh, YouTube is a private entity. It is a private business. They can, they're free to make rules, uh, you know, as they see fit. Unless they're discriminating against a certain race or sex or religion or something. A protected, you know, a protected class. class that's recognized by laws being such. Yeah. Um, the irony is, though, that Second Amendment is a constitutionally based thing you would think that it would be, you know, protected, right? But, but unfortunately, based on current precedent and case law, uh, where we stand on this is that the Second Amendment is not necessarily protected speech. As far as, I mean, yeah, you can say whatever you want to say. Uh, there are places where you can do that. And there are, unfortunately, places where you cannot do that because you have private entities that choose to not allow it on their forum. It's no different than online forums that have rules for those forums. And if you don't abide by those rules, you get booted from the forum. Facebook groups, the same thing. Facebook, of course, has these rules. We don't like it. If it, it feels unfair and it, it targets us and it limits our speech. But guess what? It's their platform. So what do we have to do about that? Well, we have the right to create our own platform. Uh, that's tried to, people have tried to do that. People have tried to create firearm friendly, uh, uh, video hosting sites and social media networks and things like that. And it usually has, it has not succeeded thus far. And it's got a long uphill battle to, to, to create a platform that will be successful in the long term. Yeah. In order, in order for that to really happen and work, YouTube would have to shut down a lot more gun channels. I mean, the, the truth is we, we hear about this policy and we're all a little scared and concerned but they're not doing anything. It's not, I mean, they're not, they haven't sure. shut down our channel. They haven't shut down as far as I'm aware due to this new policy. I don't know where any yeah. channels that have been shut down due, um, due to the new policy. That, that may yeah. be true. Now they have shut down some gun stuff before. Sure. But that's due to other community guidelines that they've always had in place. So anyway, I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is unless some real drastic things start going down, most of us are not going to change our behavior, whether we like it or not, or support what they're doing or not. And I, I just don't know what else to do or say about it. But certainly, by the way, it would be appropriate to express our thoughts on this as a community to YouTube and, and or any other channel or, or platform that restricts uh, Second Amendment issues. And so certainly, I mean, send, send there, you, you know what, well, I'll post a link in the show notes to this policy. You can actually, right there, it says, was this content helpful? You know, ask you the question right there and you can click, yes, this, it's basically like a little article, right? A help article. You can say, yes, it was helpful. Or you can click no and say it wasn't helpful and give your reason why. That's one way of notifying them. doesn't mean they're going to listen. In fact, I doubt they will. I doubt that they'll change, but at least we have the right to go back to them and say, we disagree with your policy. 
And that's what the First Amendment is truly all about. Yeah, and, and I'll also add, like, uh, you know, not that, again, not to endorse what they're doing, but also you should be aware that YouTube's not alone. You know, Google owns YouTube, you have Facebook, Reddit. Today, Reddit started shutting down uh, gun owner stuff. Uh, it, there's a lot of big sites out there. Twitter is, is cautious. They have an interesting policy. So, you know, it's just the nature of being a big corporation and being a media player. So not to take heat off of YouTube, but to tell you that if you're upset about YouTube, maybe you should be upset with a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, that's certainly the case. So, I mean, clearly what we know, what we take from this is that our community, our industry, our Second Amendment is under attack from a variety of fronts. It is not fun. It's not cool. But we, we, we need to fight the good fight. We need to be good stewards of our right, first of all. So we shouldn't do anything stupid. We should be respectful we should be logical. We should be precise. We should be responsible. We should be well thought out uh, and, and speak up for our rights and do it in a responsible way. Uh, I occasionally see things online that are very irresponsible comments and things to make, and that's not helpful. It's not helpful in this battle. Okay, so let's, let's keep fighting for our rights. Let's do everything we can in our power. Uh, that's something we're big about here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. That, that's why we do this. We, we hope to inspire and educate and inform you, our listeners, and hopefully make you better concealed carriers, better gun owners, better uh, advocates for the Second Amendment. We just hope that you'll do it in a respectful, responsible, proper way. So go out there, impact and influence your communities. Uh, by the way, uh, just on that topic, I attended a meeting the other night in my own community with the school district that they, they put on to have this discussion, this community forum about security and safety in our, in our children's schools. And I attended thinking that there was going to be a lot of this, you know, anti-gun rhetoric maybe come up as part of that. It actually was a really well done meeting and it was, it was quite respectful I actually didn't say a lot while I was there. I didn't really have a need to. I actually spent much of the time listening to the other opinions that were presented, trying to understand the viewpoints uh, of, of people in my community. And there were definitely viewpoints that were shared that I didn't agree with, uh, but, but I, I really spent a lot of time trying to understand. And you know what? I think that will go a long ways as we try to work with people and help them see our side of things and maybe help educate them about the second amendment and what it means. We actually need to be, I think, respectful and really good listeners of the other side of things as well. It doesn't mean we have to accept what they say. I just think that it goes a long ways to listen first and then speak and, and, and speak respond respectfully. I had some good conversations on the side with different people while I was at that event. And I would say they were, productive conversations as far as promoting what I believe is important in my children's schools. So anyway, I just add that other dimension to this whole thing. It's time to wrap things up here today. Jacob, any last thoughts? No, I'm good. Yeah. So a final thank you again to uh, Chad Enos at Keltec and Keltec uh, as a company for uh, accommodating us, being good hosts, hosts to us when we came into their facility. Uh, we appreciate them for making today's episode possible. We especially appreciate XS Sites. 
Uh, they have their new F8 night sights that I, I, I've actually got on this pistol that I'm carrying with me today. Great sights, very, I mean, very bright, visible night sight that is also very visible during the day as well. Uh, I really am appreciative of this new design that they put out. I would encourage you to check them out and give your support to these companies that have made today's episode possible. So with that, we are going to let you all go. We hope that you have a fantastic weekend uh, as it is coming up here. And we will see you again next week with some great content here from the podcast. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.